coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 15th of January, 2023. The Man Born Blind. Last week, as we looked at Jesus returning to his hometown in Nazareth and speaking in the synagogue, Jesus referenced Naaman, the leper in the Old Testament. And he compared the people of Nazareth to those living at that time, living in unbelief. We have another question of belief and unbelief that pops up in our passage today. And I invite you to turn with me back to John chapter 9, the passage that we uh, had John, uh, Tom read the first section of uh, this morning in our scripture reading. Before we look into this passage, let me sort of set up the situation. The situation is the life of Jesus and his ministry. He was in Jerusalem. And chapter 8 of, of John records a long message by Jesus as he speaks about faith. And then he talks to the Pharisees. And the whole thing just sort of comes in on itself as the Pharisees start talking about his, his ancestry and he talks about them not being followers of Abraham because if they were followers of Abraham, they would believe him like Abraham believed God. And uh, then he says, your father is the devil, you know, some really choice words. And comes down to the end of chapter 8. And uh, he's talking about, well, I knew Abraham rejoiced to see uh, my day. And they look at him and they go, what? You're not even 50 years old, verse 57. And you're not even 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? That's ridiculous. That's my interpretation of that. But anyway, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And boy, at that point, everything blew up. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So this is the setting for the con or the context for this chapter nine and the question of faith. The religious leaders had just heard Jesus proclaim himself to be the I am, which every Jew, we may not pick up on that, but every Jew knew exactly what that claim was. That was like using the personal name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the great I am. And uh, so they were incensed that this man would claim to be God. 
He says, Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And the next verse is chapter 9, 1. And he passed by and he saw blind men from birth. So I wanted to get that context because here was this great upheaval in the temple over who Jesus claimed to be. And now he steps out of the temple and as he passes out of the temple grounds, there are beggars outside hoping to appeal to those who are going in and out of the temple to share some of the resources they have with, with them so that they could subsist. And he sees a blind man, and it says, from birth. And his disciples asked him a question. And this is what starts off this whole chapter. For his disciples say, in verse 2 of chapter 9, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Why is this man blind is not the question they asked. They wanted to know whose fault it was. Was it his parents that they had done something and so God had judged them by causing their son to be born blind? And because he was born blind from birth, the only other alternative is he must have done something in the womb that sinned against God, that God would not allow him to be born with his sight. And you go, what are you thinking? In order for you to understand that, you need to understand what was going on in the hearts and minds of people for generations up until this point. And to do that, you need to go back to the book of Job in the Old Testament. You'll see in the notes there, Job 32, 3. If you know the story of Job, Job was a, a godly man, a just man, following God. And Satan came and accused him. And God says, he does this because he loves me. He says, well, no, you know, he only loves you because you bless him. And so Satan then is given the permission to take out his businesses and then take out his family. And you go, what? You know, what is God doing? God was making a point to Satan, saying, These, this man, Job, trust me, although he has not seen me. And it isn't about what I have blessed him with, it is the fact that he has come to put his trust in me. Well, after these things happen, Job says, Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan comes back and says, well, he might have lost his family. He might have lost his business, but he is untouched. 
you've got his, your protection on him. And so God says, okay, well, you can touch him, just don't take his life. And so he's given these boils and we read in scripture, he's scraping them and just horrific. And the response of Job is the same. But that happens in the first couple chapters and then the book of Job goes on chapter after chapter after chapter with friends. <laughs> and I say that because the three principal elders who come to visit him are not very friendly. And basically they make accusations against Job and, in, and when the fourth person joins them, he condemns what they have said. He says in verse 2, he says, He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than with God. But in verse 1, he says, These three men cease to answer Job because he was righteous in their own eyes. And, he, and then this man says, he burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. In other words, up until this point, for 31 chapters, they had gone on and on and on and basically said, Job, not knowing what the circumstances were, Job, the reason that you have lost your business, the reason that you have lost your family, the reason that you're in pain with all these diseases, is one reason. You are an unrighteous man and God has judged you. And that was from the earliest accounts in the book of Job. Now we have the creation in Genesis and everything, but Job is one of the earliest stories of, from the Old Testament. So this thinking was going on from the earliest days all the way through the Old Testament. And now we come into the New Testament, chapter nine, and what do the disciples say? They're picking up on this theme, and the theme is this. God blesses those who follow him with riches and health and all those things. And he curses those who do not follow him. And the reason that you're sick, the reason that you have problems, the reason that your business falls apart is because you just are not faithful and true. What was the situation in Job's life? Was that true? No. Job was a righteous man. Scripture tells us that he even sacrificed for his children when they were alive because they may have had a party and celebration and done something to dishonor God. And Job wanted to say, I will sacrifice to make sure it's covered so that the Lord is honored. The judgments on Job were not judgments at all. They were testings by Satan to see if 
Job would renounce his faith. So now we come to this passage in John. And we see that as we mentioned last week, what can get in the way of faith is some of our preconditioning and assumptions and the disciples who are with Jesus said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they had to have done something to be judged by God in this way. And you go, that's ridiculous. Is it? I'm going to ask you a question. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you'll know the answer to this question. Don't raise your hands because you don't want to embarrass yourself. Have you ever been going through a rough time in your life and you wonder if it's some sin that has caused this to come upon you? You just just like the Job's friends. You just like the disciples in the New Testament. Yeah, we we go there. Why? Satan would love for us to go there. Say you're out of sorts with God. Now, we may be out of sorts with God, and maybe God's rebuke to bring us back to Him. But it's not the case. It's not the case. The impact of sin is universal. But problems are not always caused by specific acts of sin. When I say they're universal, we know that going back to the garden in Genesis 3, verses 17 and 18, God is speaking to Adam and he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it the days of your, all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles and blackberries I shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. So we know that along with this active sin of Adam and Eve, there was judgment upon the earth. And Paul picks up that theme in Romans 8, verses 20 and 20 through 22, when he says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In other words, there's plenty of after effects of sin in this world. So this man that is born blind wasn't because mom or dad sinned. It wasn't because this boy in the womb sinned. It's because of the impact of the fallen world which he lived. And he was born 
blind. And I love it because Jesus is often given two options. Which way is it? Is it this way or this way? And God goes, neither is this one. <laughs> and he does that here. Jesus answers, says, it was not this man's sin, nor his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. In other words, you raise the question. God is going to be faithful in this man's life. And because you raised the question today, I'm going to tell you something is going to happen in this man's life. And the works of God will be displayed. And then he makes this statement. We must work the works of him who sent out work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. In other words, now is the time. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and he washed and he came back seeing I wish I had a big diorama here for you to get an, an idea of the landscape of, of uh, Jerusalem. The Temple Mount sat up on a mount, okay, directly to the east from the outside wall of the temple area. The hillside falls away rapidly, very steeply down into the Kidron Valley, and then almost immediately rises up again on, to, on the east to the Mount of Olives. In fact, many great pictures of, of the Temple Mount today are taken from the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley at, at the temple area. And right now, of course, the Dome of the Rock So the temple is sitting up here on a, on a plateau, so to speak, because they leveled it out, built the temple. And Jesus encounters this man outside the temple area, and he says, and he fixes this saliva soil mix, puts it on his eyes, and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm believing that he had help. And the reason is, if the Temple Mount is here, and the Mount of Olives is here, what goes from the, mount, from the Temple Mount to the Pool of Siloam is downhill, downhill, downhill through the town to the very outskirts at the other end of the town where the Pool of Siloam was. For him to get there, would not have been five steps and into the pool. This was across the town, downhill, get the eyes washed, turn around, and come back up to the temple now.
In order the man's eyes with mud, he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. We go to the next section in our passage here. And we're reminded that Jesus said it wasn't his sin, wasn't his parents' sin. And the impact of sin is universal, but the problems are not always caused by specific acts of sin. But now we move to the neighbors and those that passed him by. Remember, he sat outside the gate. There was people who, as they went in and out of the temple, would have seen him. And over the years, he would have become a fixture. More than likely, just like you. And you go, what are you talking about, Pastor? Where does Tim Knight sit in the service? Sits back there, right? My wife and Esther are back in the back row because they're good Baptists. They have to sit in the back row. Okay. And Ralph and Gloria are always over here at the table. And the rest of you fill in your appointed slots, right? So as people had gone in and out of the temple area, this man would have been probably in the same location day after day after day. And they would have seen him, but they wouldn't see him. Why? He would be as much a fixture in the setting as the steps that they walked up and into the temple area. And so we get this response in verses 8 through 12. Again, what Tom read to us, and neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar was saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, we've seen this guy. He's the one that's Usually he's right over there sitting. And some said, yes, it's him. It is he. Others said, no, it is like him. Why? Because for him to be seated and probably holding out an alms cup is how they normally see him. Now that he doesn't have the cup and he's standing and he can face them face to face and see them, they go, ah, it's like you. There's something about him not the same. Yeah, you can see. But he kept saying, yes, it's me. I'm the man. I'm the man. And so they asked the question, how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said, where? They said to him, where is he? And he goes, I don't know. Why don't you know? Well, I just told you, I went down to the pool of Siloam washed my eyes, I couldn't see him on the way, 
came back, I could see. But where he is now, I don't know. I love this point that Spurgeon made about this section. I think I put it into your notes. Whenever you see a man or woman in sorrow and trouble, the way to look at it is not to blame him and inquire how he came there. That's what they were doing. He must have sinned. But to say, here's an opening for God's almighty love. Here's an occasion for the display of the grace and the goodness of the Lord. Here's an opportunity for us to minister. Now, I'm not going to make a big point of this, but all of us, if you have driven a car, have come to an off-ramp and seen somebody standing there with a sign. Most of them say, God bless, somewhere on this line. But I need help. I'm, I am, um, you know, a former soldier, or I am homeless, or I've got a family with kids. And, and sometimes we look, sometimes we don't look. Sometimes we give if we have resources. But Spurgeon reminds us, not everybody in need is standing at the bottom of an off-ramp. There's people in our lives that need the touch of Jesus and God has put us there to touch their hearts and lives. If we can be awake enough to notice and to help. Well, that's an interesting part of the story, but the greater portion of the story is what follows. In verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had been formerly made blind. Guess what? The same guy. And now it's the Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, and you go, oh no, not that. Not only was he debating in the temple and claiming to be God, but now he goes and he heals this guy, and it's the Sabbath. He's not supposed to be doing labor. In fact, for this guy to leave the temple and go to Siloam and come back was more than a Sabbath day journey. You shouldn't travel that far. And yet, Jesus had sent him there. So he's broken all sorts of rules and Jesus has broken all sorts of Sabbath rules. And again, we get the question, verse 15. So the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. And he said, everybody together now. <laughs> it's been said enough time. He put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. That's a shortened version because he left out the pool of Siloam, but we already know how to fill in all those blanks. Now, we're talking about unbelief. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner 
do such signs. This is a good thing, isn't it? That a person who is blind can now see. Isn't that a good? How many think that isn't a good thing? The Pharisees. Pharisees, why? You did it on the wrong day. What? And again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Basically, a person sent from God to speak truth. And the Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and received the sight. <sighs> did not believe. So what did they do? They called his parents. And they called his parents of the man who had been who had received the sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Oh man. Did you hear what they said? You say he was born blind. We really don't believe that he was born blind. His parents answered. You know that this is our son. We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We know that's a hard, cold fact. This is our son and he was born blind. Now about the rest of it. How he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And look at the commentary here in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, Jewish leaders, you could put there. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, he would be alienated from worship from now on. That's it. And if anybody associates with somebody who's put out of the synagogue, they get the same business. And you go, well, that's not so bad. I've missed church before. Yeah, but how would you like to go down to the grocery store and they won't sell you anything? Why? Because if you sell him something, they sell you something, then they're kicked out of the synagogue and they lose their right to worship too. And so they say, I'm not going to sell you anything. And you have a business and you want to sell whatever goods that you make. Nobody buys from you. Why? They buy from you. They're out of the synagogue too. The ramifications were great here. And so the parents said, he's of age, ask him. We don't know how that happened. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So in verse 24 and following, the Pharisees, religious leaders, come back again to the man. And for the second time, they called the man who was born blind, said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, the one who claims to have healed you has got to be a sinner because he he healed on the Sabbath. He can't be a person who came from God because he wouldn't have violated the Sabbath. And so give glory to God. 
his response. He answered, whether it's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And it's getting really juicy here. Because he answered them and says, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? In other words, are you hoping to convert if I tell you how this happened? This is stick the knife in and twist it a little bit. And look at their response. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Basically, he said, we follow the law. This man does not follow the law. Why? Because he didn't keep the Sabbath. See, we know that God has spoken to Moses. And as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. So the man who's a little bolder now, he goes, man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and, and does his will, God listens to him. And never since the world began has there been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could not, he could do nothing. This is from a man who sometime before that day had lived his life in darkness. Note the response. And they answered him and said, you were born in utter sin would you teach us? How dare you could have been put in there? And they cast him out. And it brings us to two strategic points. The whole interplay with his physical sight also is interplayed with the blindness of the religious leaders. Oh, they could see with their eyes okay, but spiritually they were blind. So our next point is all of us are born blind spiritually. See, this man was born physically blind, and Jesus now uses this and he pushes it right in front of the religious leaders for them to see that a blind, physical, blind person now has received his sight and they do not accept his word, they do not accept his, temperature, his uh, testimony and he does not accept anything about him, you're a sinner, and they fall back to that whole Job philosophy and they kick him out. Second point, when God is revealed to us, 
we can choose to remain blind. If all of us are born spiritually blind, when God is revealed to us, we can choose to remain blind. The religious leaders exhibited that in spades. They had seen the handiwork of Jesus Christ in the physical healing of this man, and they would not take anything from him and wouldn't count anything to Jesus as being good and righteous and holy. So now we come sort of to the epilogue of this story and is found in verses 35 and following. Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? Son of man was a term used in the Old Testament and into the New Testament and Jesus claimed it, the one for the Messiah. And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Face to face with Christ my Savior. That's where this man's heart was. He had received his sight. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, show me who this guy is. And he says, I'm here standing in front of you. And what was his response? He said, Lord, I believe in your worship. Wow. Not too bad for somebody who said, not too shabby. On your first day of vision, you get to see God face to face. And what was his response? Worship. Our reactions to problems are key in glorifying God or not. This man who now was healed of his physical blindness is healed of his spiritual blindness. I believe. And he worshiped. But I said this is the epilogue of the story and we're not quite done. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not, that do not see, may see. Who is that? All of us are born in spiritual blindness. He says, I came that those who are blind and do not see could see. That's why I'm here. And those who see may become blind. What is he talking about? Those who see the revelation of Jesus Christ, those who see his power and his might, recognize his authority, recognize his lordship, and that he is the savior of mankind, those that do move from 
being spiritually blind to spiritually seeing. But those who claim to see, but see Jesus and deny his authority, deny his power, his power, his, his rightful rule in their life. What did Jesus say? They become blind. He says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And we get to the whole point of this message. Yes, it was a story about a man who physically couldn't see and then could see. But that isn't why we're here. That isn't why it was included in the scriptures. Jesus wanted to make the point about spiritual blindness. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. He says, but now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. Our reactions, our response, our response to the situations of the world and what we are faced with are key to glorifying God or not. So let me ask you a question. Having gone through chapter 9, which is worse? To be physically blind or spiritually? And if we are all born spiritually blind, don't you desire to be healed? Don't you desire to see? That's the question that's before us. Do you see? Have you been healed of your spiritual blindness or not? If you haven't been healed of your spiritual blindness, the response is as this man. Who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him. He it is who is speaking to you. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's our response to him. See Jesus for who he is. I believe and worship. Heavenly Father, I would ask that we would be worshipers. That we would recognize our spiritual blindness and we see that the only one who can heal us, the only one who can fix us is Jesus, the Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, we cry out to him. I believe. I believe and worship. So thankful for so great a salvation. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.